Used to. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, this morning we return to Psalms chapter 23 and continue. We picked up part of the Psalms last week. In fact, it's only six verses. And but we went through the first three verses last week and kind of dissected it. And today, then, we pick up more of it, and we continue then throughout the remaining portion of the six verses, notably verses today, four, five, and six. But if you are here last week, then you remember that we kind of take the psalm, again, it's not long, it's only six verses in length, but yet scholars take that psalm, both the popularity of the psalm that it is, and they yet to divide it in three sections. One commentary I was reading, it was referenced last week, said this, that David takes us, divided this way, David takes us into the glen in verses 1 through 3. Then he takes us down to the gorge in verses five, 4 and 5. And then finally into the glory in verse 6. And so by doing so, he introduces us to the one who can take care of our frailty, then to the one who can take care of our foes, and finally to the one who can take care of our future. That was one particular way one commentary divided the six verses. But we divided it and used it then in a format that is almost like John Phelps' mother divided it into three different segments, yes, within the psalm. And we said you can take the psalm and find a secret to a happy life, the secret to a happy death, and the secret to happy eternity. Last week, we took an extended time to talk only about the first of the secret, the secret to a happy life. So recall then, if you weren't here last week and also recognize, that the secret to a happy life is not based upon what worldly belief is and popular opinion of the world today, that it must be based upon monetary and financial gain. It is not based upon that. The secret to a happy life, as believers we should fully recognize this, is being a personal, close, meaningful, intimate relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have that relationship, the intimacy that it is, you can be on your way to saying what David says here in the very beginning of Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. He is indeed my shepherd, and I shall not want. Recognizing that God provides everything that you need. Now, yeah, he may not give you everything that you ask for, but he will provide everything that you need. Charles Stanley says, if you have the Lord, you have everything. If you do not have the Lord, you have nothing. So those who truly know the Lord and have the Lord can say, as David does, the Lord is my shepherd, and you have the secret to a happy life. So with the first secret being extended upon and being revealed, we now move on then for today to the secret to a happy death and the secret to a happy eternity. But before we extend and go on with the two last secrets, let us go back and read the six verses of Psalm 23 once more. So if able to today, go ahead and stand with me as we simply stand to honor the reading of the word. And we find again Psalm 23, a very popular verse, first set of verses, a very popular psalm that you probably heard countless times. We hear it once more again today in six verses. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, Lord, we truly love this psalm, Lord, that David had written many years ago, Lord. It still applies to all of us today in the lives that we're living. And we're so thankful to hear today, Lord, that we can take this psalm and begin to divide it up to see how we can have happiness in our lives. Lord, we, we want to receive this psalm in its fullness and, and not only be able to receive it, but also now maybe learn more about it and to see how it can give us a happy life, Lord, a happy death, a happy eternity. Provide the words, Lord, today for all of us to leave here knowing clear well that we have you as Savior. When we have your Son as Savior, we have you, Lord, as our Father. Then it leads us to a happiness that we shall receive all the days of our life. Let's be thankful, Lord, for what we shall learn and apply here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When notice begin to expand upon the last two secrets, the first one, of course, then being the secret to a happy death. And notice then, as we go back to the text, verses 4 and 5, notice that the topic of death comes up in verse 4. Now, I understand that normally, normally when it comes to the topic of death, we people, as people, we try to avoid it. The best that we can, we try to not even talk about it. And it's understandable. I mean, it's kind of morbid, if you will, sometimes to talk about it. And, and we sometimes think it's even taboo to even think about it. And then it's also something that we associate with fear in our lives. But David takes an opportunity and leaps into the subject of death in verse 4, especially the phrase, as you see with me, the valley of the shadow of death. And, and with that, then, he also leads further in suggestion that when it comes to death, that we should not have fear. And we'll expand upon that in a moment, but before we do, let us see then, and, and maybe even ask the question, do we understand why David maybe wrote this particular section of the psalm when it comes to the valley shadow of death? I mean, what is the valley of the shadow of death? For that matter, is it truly even a valley? Now, to answer, we first recognize then that the valley of the shadow of death that we read in our translations is worded slightly different than other translations. Some call it the valley of deep darkness, or some just say the simply the darkest valley. But a closer examination of the Hebrew word being used here, Salmoet, can be understood as literally a very deep shadow, or just even total darkness. And even some say it's even gloom. So that's helpful in a way, but it still maybe isn't answered the question about is it literally a valley? So the question is still there, is this a valley? And I turn to some sources, particularly some scholars, and David Jeremiah, the first to speak, says the valley of the shadow of death is not a state, a condition, or an abiding place. Rather, the beloved of the Lord, this would be us, pass through death to get to one to the other side, where they experience eternal privileges, pleasures, and joy. Charles Spurgeon adds, it is not walking in the valley, but through the valley. We go through the dark tunnel of death and emerge into the light of immortality. So with those comments, it's helpful maybe to now see that the valley of shadow of death is not a literal valley, but rather a walk or a passageway 
once we die from this life to the afterlife. But notice again, though, going back to verse 4, that David says not only should we not uh, should walk through the valley or walk a passageway from this life to the other, he also says we should not have fear. He tells us in verse 4, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff to comfort me. Now, why or maybe how can we not fear then the valley shadow of death or death that we know is going to be imminent for all of us? How can we not fear this? And the words that David tells us is because God is with us, comforting us. He's comforting us in our time of need. In the last portion of verse 4, he's essentially saying that if one person, if one of us find ourselves in the valley of deep darkness or in the shadow of death, then he or she need not fear simply because the Lord is with you and will be with you and protect you during that journey. Now, David, of course, is a shepherd. I mean, and he, he may be riding this as a shepherd as he's watching his particular sheep. He knows he's protecting them with the rod and the staff. So now he's sourcing or referencing the equipment he is certainly familiar with. He has used his rod, his staff, countless occasions to protect and count and guide and rescue his sheep. So when he's using those metaphors, kind of here's for us to see that similarly, God as our shepherd then directs and comforts, protects and rescues us. So the rod and the staff were metaphors that David is using in which he's conveying that the Lord as our shepherd is taking care of a sheep, which is me and you. And he not only takes care of us at all times, but maybe especially when we begin to fear or we begin to reflect upon death. If that fails to make sense, to consider what the New Living Translation commentary said, it sums it up quite nicely. It said, death casts a frightening shadow over us because we are entirely helpless in its presence, which is completely true. Is we can struggle with our other enemies, pain, suffering, disease, and injury. But strength and courage cannot overcome death. It has the final word. Only one person can walk with us through death's valley and bring us safely to the other side. It is the God of life, our shepherd. And maybe that itself then is helpful to see how he's always with us, protecting us. Maybe not protecting us is the right word to use here, but he's certainly with us in that valley. Certainly as we begin to have fear. So then what is the secret to a happy death? It is a knowing that God will walk with us through the valley. He will be with us. In fact, he'll usher you through. His angels will come and take you. But God will be with us as we walk through the valley. Or James Waltner states, A fearful experience or death itself fills people with terror. However, the great shepherd is with you. Warren Worsby adds, In the dark valley, he, the Lord our shepherd, is not before us, but beside us, leading the way and calming all our fears. So again, it's simple, almost maybe too simple. And the secret to a happy death, as David offers now in Psalms 23, is in realizing that the shepherd, the comforter, is with you every step you take through that particular valley. So then what that means is this. 
And if you have that close, personal, meaningful, intimate relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you need not fear. You need not fear anything, even death. For he was with you and always with you and forevermore be with you. You need not fear. Now, as believers, we can begin to make sense of that. We can begin to see that God will be with us in everything that we're doing in life. Even when it comes to death, as David's explaining that, we can begin to see he'll comfort us. Or sometimes, well, rather, he comforts those who's left behind. But notice, if you will, if you've been like me and you had a believer, a, a person you love, who you know, you'd know that they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know they have the intimate, personal relationship with Christ. You know when it comes time, they're not fearing death because they have that relationship. Now, I got to tell you, I've seen that with Ray. We were all fearful of what would happen when Ray, if it did come to be, where she would pass. Nick, Jackson, Declan Tucker, we prayed for them. We were afraid for them of what could happen afterwards. And, and that's how we are as humans. But I got to tell you, being with Ray all those days, and if you were with her, you know as well, she was not fearing death. She knew certainly where she was going, and she knew she'd be ushered into the kingdom with the angels and we see the Lord. And there's no fear with that. A couple of weeks ago, it was with Mac McDuffie when he died, and that did his funeral, the same situation. When a person who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is in that relationship, they're not fearing death. And then we as believers should recognize the same thing, that even when we're with them and we see even that death is imminent, we don't have to fear. In fact, we can even rejoice knowing that they have no pain, they are with their loved ones who have went before them, and now they're even with the Lord. I've seen it countless times, even seen it with my father, when it's by his side, is begin to pass. We have no fear of death, knowing that he is with us, guiding us each on each step. That's what David tells us in the psalm. The secret to happy death is knowing that God is with you, walking with you, even through that valley. But returning to verse 5, then notice it's not just that that David tells us. Yes, that's very good to receive and to know as you dissect this psalm and provide all the comfort that we need and then some. But notice he also refers to in verse 5 about the enemy and the table and about how the enemy pursues us. In verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I mean, the simple thing here that we need to recognize is that we struggle at times in our lives with enemies. Now, granted, and admittedly, we don't have the same type of enemies. When David is writing this, if he's writing it when he truly is a shepherd watching the sheep, we don't have the same type of enemies, obviously, as David. I mean, he's got the lion and, and the bear and, and other wild animals after his flock that he's watching overnight. So he has a different kind of enemy maybe than we have. But even further, when you think about David's life, if he wrote it later in life, then he still had maybe enemies that we don't have to confront and be worried about. Oh, like Goliath. I mean, Goliath was taunting the Israelites. And, and then David confronted Goliath directly, who was an enemy of Israel, and then took care of that with God by his side. 
But it wasn't just Goliath or the lion or the bear or whatever that was David's enemy. It was also once upon a time Saul, the king of Israel, who was David's enemy in a sense that he pursued David tirelessly. So David has had multiple enemies that sometimes we may not have. In fact, as the king of Israel, David even had enemies like the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Arameans, and many more. So we may not have all those types of people in our lives as enemies, but yet there's one enemy we all have in common. That's the prince of the world, Satan. I mean, Satan is indeed our greatest adversary. He is our enemy. He is our nemesis. And our enemy, we recognize, as mentioned in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, is always prowling, rowing around, looking for the next victim to devour. I mean, he's always outside the door, waiting for us. But we fortunately have God preparing a table in the presence of the enemy. Or as David Jeremiah states, it's in the enemy, the enemy pursues. But the Lord's people are safe in the shelter of the shepherd's tent. Yahweh prepares a table while the enemy is just outside the tent's door. The good shepherd literally feeds his children in the presence of their enemies. I also like the words of Charles Spurgeon again, who adds this. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. And the Christian, that is me and you, the Christian sits down at the table as if everything were in perfect peace. When you think about it, we are so blessed, even beyond blessed, knowing that God, our great shepherd, loves and cares for us so much so that he not only will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, but also now protects us under the constant threat of our enemy. And the enemy is always there lurking in the shadow for each and every one of us. But he is there, and we can call out to him, and he will be there for us. So David includes that portion of the psalm also about the enemy and how the Lord provides and comforts and directs us even in that moment of life. But lastly then, and maybe finally, we go back to the psalm and must see then the secret to a happy eternity. It's verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now regarding verse 6, the commentary from John Phillips and it states that we are given two glimpses of what lies ahead, goodness and mercy. Goodness takes care of my steps. Mercy takes care of my stumbles. And that's an appropriate way to say it. Hadn't thought about it that way before, but he's right. Goodness takes care of my steps. God is good to all of us. Many blessings we've received. Mercy takes care of our stumbles, because we certainly will have those in life as well. Once again, Spurgeon referring to him, he said, goodness and mercy follow the believer always. The black days as well as the bright days. Goodness supplies our needs, and mercy blots out our sins. Well-written words for us to receive about what it is with goodness and mercy. So what is the secret now to a happy eternity? It is in knowing this. It is in knowing that our shepherd, the great shepherd, God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, offers his loving kindness, the Hebrew word is hesed, in the forms of goodness and mercy all the days that we live. It's not just a few days that God is good to us. 
It's not just a couple of days a year in which he extended mercy to us. It's every day of our life. He is offering goodness and mercy. All the days of our life. Now hearing that, let's ask this question. Do we truly appreciate God's goodness and mercy in our lives? I mean, it's, it's there every day. Every day he's good to us and every day he extends mercy to us. So do we truly appreciate the full extent, the full measure of his goodness and his mercy? I mean, goodness is a divine attribute of God. I mean, it's just his character. I mean, God cannot be good. I mean, you've heard the saying before, God is good all the time. And all the time what? Exactly. We know of God's goodness and, and he's always good to us. I mean, the goodness as it relates to God is essentially that the Lord is not evil, that he, he does not love sin, and he cannot even be tempted by evil. I mean, he's just naturally good. He's just a good God. But what is even more than that he hates evil, cannot be tempted by evil, that he bores evil, is that he's just so good to us. And so he, he's so good to us so many times, we just even take it for granted, honestly. I mean, God's goodness and his generosity and compassion to his creation is endless. And, and at times we just almost expect it and look over it and don't even recognize when it's happening. I mean, it's things, his goodness extends to things like this. Just waking up each morning. You really don't think about the gift being given of every day. Because sometimes we just simply take for granted we'll have another day. But when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor, you take that first breath, that's goodness of God. That's a blessing he has given us. Or another example of his goodness is just pouring out his favor on us. Pouring out his favor on us. You're thinking, what do you mean by that? Well, we take for granted simply the things that God pours out of his favor in the form of many different things. For example, just receiving a card in the mail of someone who was thinking of you. Perhaps that seed was planted because good, goodness of God, I put that in action for you to receive that. Or even a text. You may get a text from somebody who randomly says, I'm praying for you. And that's God's favor being poured out on you. Or, or maybe, maybe you've been a recipient, or maybe you've done this, where you've been in a drive-thru, and when you get up to pay for your order, someone's already done it. That's an example of God's goodness and that he's pouring out his favor on you. I mean, there's countless forms of God's goodness and pouring favor on us. Another example of God's goodness we take for granted at times is prayer. Prayer is a privilege we have. It's a powerful connection that God gives us to communicate with him. I mean, we should be thanking him every day like Tyler told the children, Every day we could thank God for something because he's just that good to us. And he's always then also an illustration of goodness is that he's guiding us with decisions. Some decisions are hard to make. And we can turn to his word, begin to read certain segments of it, and it's just like it sometimes shouts out at you the action, the things you need to do because we're blessed to have a God directing our steps, watching out for us. I think I shared with you before but my father had cancer, and I was living in Mississippi, and it was time Thanksgiving of that year, 2003. I came home to see Dad for Thanksgiving. 
I did not realize that five days later would be his last. And so we all had that great time for Thanksgiving in 2003. But as December rolled around and my brother called me and said, it's time you got to come home if you want to see dad. Honestly, I didn't know whether to go back and rem- to see dad like that or just simply remember him. How do I want to remember him? And I needed God to help with that decision. I turned to the word and it gave me some comfort. It gave me some direction. And sure enough, I eventually found peace of the fact that I was going to leave work, go back the next day, see dad. And then dad died two hours after I got there. On December 5th, 2003. Some decisions are hard to make. Because God is good to us and gives us his word, we can go to that, source that, and it helps us. He guides us through decisions to help us make the right decision. He's just that good to us. He gives us his word to help us. I mean, those are just some samplings of God's goodness that he gives to us every day of our life. He is good. He is God. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But it's not just his goodness that David refers to here. Notice it's coupled with his mercy. Mercy meaning withholding punishment that we probably shouldn't deserve. Mercy, of course, is related directly to forgiveness. God the Father showed mercy on all of us when he sacrificed his only son, Jesus, on the cross to pay for our sins. That was mercy. I mean, if anybody should have been on the cross, it should be me and you, not Jesus. He was perfect in every possible way. The man, fully God, but fully man who had no sin. He was perfect. He need not be on that cross. It should have been us, me and you. So in short, then mercy certainly is an extension of forgiveness and certainly is an extension then an expression of the love that God has for us. The love God has for us and that we should have for others. I mean, never thought about the fact that we have been given mercy, but yet we seldom show mercy to others. But we've been forgiven, and God bestows his goodness and mercy on us. But should we for others? God's goodness and mercy is so abundant. As David writes in the psalm, in the very end, they allows us to dwell in his house forever. John 14 talks about the fact that Jesus prepared a mansion, a place for you. God's goodness and mercy is so abundant that we get a chance to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the secret to happy eternity? It is in knowing that our shepherd offers his loving kindness in the forms of goodness and mercy all the days of our life. Psalms 23. It's a psalm we hear upon multiple occasions. It's a psalm that we've heard countless times. It's a psalm that often is recited at funerals. Simply because maybe it's comforting. It reminds us then of God's love. Warren Worsby says, certainly this psalm has a message for the sorrowing, but it's unfortunate that it's used primarily at funerals. Because Psalms 23 focuses on what Jesus does for us all the days of our life, and not just at death. While people of all ages love and quote this psalm, 
Its message is for mature Christians who have fought battles and carried burdens. We talked last week about how we all do that, how we all carry burdens, and how we all fight battles, and how the psalm that is appropriate to help us through that. David is writing one when he's been fighting his own battle, or remember carrying a burden of his own. So he writes the psalm, and it truly is a psalm of comfort. Or as we dissected here with John Phillips' mother providing maybe the outline, the psalm reminds us of how to receive a happy life, a happy death, and a happy eternity. But here's the thing to sum it all up. It should not be a secret to us as believers on how we can have each form of happiness. Because every form of happiness in our lives, all roots, it all stems from God, who is a loving Father who looks after every one of His children. We are the children of God. He's looking after us every step of our lives, providing for us, comforting us, rescuing us. And we can have a happy life, happy death, and happy eternity by simply having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we can have happiness and comfort. When God, our Father, our Shepherd, provides everything we need for us to have happiness in every aspect of life. And I submit to you today, the only form of happiness you'll ever have in your life begins when you truly want happiness in your life. You never have happiness. You'll never truly experience happiness until you first accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you truly, in your heart, accept Jesus as Lord, well, frankly, that would be the happiest day of your life. Father, Lord, we reflect upon this text, this psalm, Lord, today. It's brief, Lord, we know. But yet we also recognize how it's got power in it. How it provides for us, Lord, words that we need to know and, Lord, we need to understand. So the last couple of weeks, Lord, we've taken the opportunity now to expand upon this very popular song. I pray, Lord, it's been helpful for us to dissect a portion of it and see how we can have happiness in our lives and, and how we see ultimately every bit of happiness stems from your son, from Jesus. So I pray, Lord, today that every one of us would hear today to truly, truly just treasure that. I pray for a person, if it be a person here today who's never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, who, who really then is living a life of misery, that they would accept Jesus Christ as Lord today and begin to have the happiest journey of their life. But we're so thankful that you provide for us your son, that you extend goodness and mercy to us. Let's receive that in full here today. We're thankful, Lord. Upon a week of giving thanks, we're thankful for your son, and for all your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.